Good morning. Another year is upon us. I'm hoping it's not as eventful as last year. But I'd like it to be as eventful as possible if we can get, get our nation back on track. So, uh, there is a card by your chair there. It says, My Prayer 2022. We've been doing this for a few years now, on all the way through January, do a little series to kind of prime the pump for our lives for this year. We have our focus dinner, which kind of culminates that. We'll have some time, we'll talk about this, of praying for our church. But then we also collect these prayer requests every Sunday through January, and then we pray over them in our hour of prayer on Saturday morning. This last group, we had about 350 last year, prayer requests. They were prayed over each individually 10 times through the year. So the Lord, when we pray, God's pleased. When we pray, He hears. When we pray, He answers. And He's, he is, he's, he's the one who put, sort of put this thing together. If we pray, ask, we shall receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, you'll be, the door will be open. So God wants to answer our prayers, and one of the main ones that I would ask you to pray is just, Lord, would you bless Calvary Chapel South? If we can just stay on track with what the Lord honors himself, that is his word, his name, and his people, if we can continue to do that, then God's going to be able to do what he wants to do. Amen? So pray the Lord. So if you, as we're going through these series, at any Sunday, you can put one in, you can put two in, however many you want. Some prayer requests, maybe it's for a family member, maybe it's for something that you hear in one of the studies, whatever it is, write it out. We'll go in here, and then we'll be praying over them through 2022. I wish, this would have been on my heart every year, I wish there was a way to follow up on these, but that would be, I'm not sure how you would do that. So know this, we are following up with the Lord for you as we pray. Amen? So we're in Exodus chapter 15. Would you stand? I'm going to read chapter 15, verse 20. As we continue our study through Exodus, this one a little bit of a five-part series on uh, life in the wild, <laughs> God's presence with us in this world. So verse 20, we're coming out of God, this wonderful deliverance, the song that was sung in chapter 15 up to verse 20, and then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, this is Exodus 15, 20, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord. For he has triumphed glorious. Now, they've just seen this incredible miracle that God did in delivering them and wiping out Egypt. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And he said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Sponsive reading, Psalm 63. I'll read the, the first and odd verses. If you would follow together, read the second. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings I will rejoice. But those who seek my life to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him shall glory. But the mouth of those who speak lies shall be stopped. So, Lord, here we are. Gather together 
We're asking, Lord, that you'd speak to us through your word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Give us ears to hear, I pray. The things that I prepared, I ask, Lord, break them fresh this service as we're going through your word. That you would speak to our hearts. You grant us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Give us, Lord, just a humility before you now to receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls, able to transform our lives, able to direct us as a lamp and a light. Show us where we are. Direct us to where you want us going. Give us ears, Lord. Give us a willing, humble heart to walk humbly with you, to keep your commandments, to keep your statutes, to try and live our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience and trusting you for everything, not just some, everything, Lord. We, we unload it right now just to begin. You say, Lord, here's our lives. Take them this morning. Speak into them by your word and bless us with a, a responsiveness to you who, are the, who is the one who can do anything. There's nothing too hard for you. And we bow before you. We love you, Lord. You change not. Your love is perfect. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving to us life through Jesus. And grant now, Lord, please, a blessing over this message. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So Miriam goes out, sing to the Lord, he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he's thrown into the sea. So Moses brought them from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So in this next four or five weeks, we're going to look at these lessons that we find. Actually, the Bible is nothing but lessons from God. But specifically, as they're going into the wilderness now, they're on this journey that they, they look at it and they go, we are not prepared for this. And that's God's job. We may go into this Christian life and, and you get into it not very far and you realize, okay, I, I need some help here. And because God begins to work in our lives as we're in relationship with him to change us, to grow us up. And mainly this morning, I want to talk about God wants to heal your life. He wants to heal my life. He is the healer, Jehovah Rapha. So the book of Deuteronomy is, that book, Deuteronomy second law, is Moses reviewing the history of the last 40 years as they're in the wilderness. So in Deuteronomy chapter 1, we read this. These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite Suf between Paran, Taphai, Laban, Hazareth, and Dizabah. Now notice, verse 2, it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. Now it came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him as commandments to them. He is their leader. God said, here's what you're to speak to the, to the people. He was faithful to do that. And now in Deuteronomy, he begins to say, this is what I'm going to be writing about. This is what I'm going to be talking about. For every believer, now just typology-wise or as an application, for every believer, there is a legitimate wilderness journey. According to this, that journey was supposed to be 11 days. They were late by a few years. It took a lot longer than really what it it just geographically should have taken them. So there is this legitimate wilderness experience that we're going to talk about. But this also, as the Bible commentary says, the ominous reminder of the consequences of disobedience. 40 years. God said, around the mountain again. Around the mountain again. They'll be coming around the mountain once again. Dun, dun, dun. They'll be. And so that's what happened. They, they refused to believe God to go into the promised land. And it cost them a lot. Of, a lot. Now, God still may remain faithful to them. Mark that. Through their wandering and rebellious hearts, God still cared enough to keep them from perishing. But there was consequences. So we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you, led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. For what purpose? To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, not God, them, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, 
Nor did, the fa- did your fathers know, they used to call it, what is it? Manna, what is it? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. In other words, they didn't need new shoes for 40 years. How would you like that one? I mean, shoes are getting pretty expensive. <laughs> they, God they didn't wear out. God took care of them miraculously and faithfully. So these lessons were to accomplish two things. Number one, to know the truth about their hearts. To know the truth in their hearts. To know that, 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 that their hearts propensity is to lean toward disobedience to the Lord, is to sin against God. Now, when you become a believer, that becomes very real. The Holy Spirit begins to enlighten our lives, and we realize our bent, the old nature's bent, is to sin against God. It's just there. You don't have to teach that. It's there because we were born in sin as descendants of Adam. Now, that's number one, to know what's in their hearts, the truth about it, to know who they truly are apart from God in their, in their natural sense, but then also to know the true and living God and to know him truly. So he said that you might know that life is more than physical existence. Now, when we came to Christ and received eternal life, all of a sudden, we become aware of a dimension of life that we never really knew what it was. It's called the spiritual, the life of the spirit. It's called, we have this dimension that God created us to be able to have with him. And our spirit bears with us, his spirit that we are children of God. And when we get born again, isn't this, it's, it's this thing you can't give to someone, only God can do that. But you can surely tell them about it and say, hey, I know the Lord. Oh, yeah, well, you're a little loony. No, I'm not loony. (laughs) You're just losing right now. I'm not loony. So that's what happens. It's It's this amazing thing. By faith, when I believe God for the gospel, he gives to me life, eternal life. And I begin this relationship with God in the spiritual dimension that had been dead because of sin. And God made us alive together in Christ. This life, we were created by God to know God, but God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There must be some born again, some, something has to happen so radical that we have been given a whole new life as new creations in Christ. Can you say amen? amen. That's what happened. So the awareness of this dimension of life, that God is continually communicating with us. That's with the world. He's communicating through creation. He's communicating through conscience. But the final response to his, creating, his communication through Christ is what gives us new birth. So people are aware, if they really want to be honest, that there is a creator. People, people are aware, if they really want to be honest, that there is something wrong. We know there's a right and wrong. And we couldn't have created that because if we created it, then it wouldn't matter. Whatever's right for me is right for me. But outside of ourselves, there's a God who said, this is right and this is wrong. And people are aware of that. But the final revelation through Christ gives to us eternal life if we respond to it. And so he's continuing communing. But here's the thing. He's communicating if we will listen. He's communicating if we will acknowledge him, if we will obey him. That begins to shape and forge a life that is so transformed by the power of God who loves us. And he is in the business of healing our lives. It begins at salvation. The spiritual healing reconciled to God by faith in Jesus Christ. And from there, it's a journey through a wilderness world for each and every believer. And so he's in the business of healing lives and he provides everything necessary for life and for, for freedom and for joy. He provides all of it. We lack nothing when we have God. And so God is the great physician. Say Amen. Jesus, I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners to repentance. 
Those who are holy don't. So when I, when I became aware of my sin, and I became aware I'm not right with God, I became aware there's a problem. God said, I have the prognosis, the diagnosis, and the healing. And he healed us, and we'll look at that in a moment. And so our greatest need, and I say, let the healing begin. Today, in this room, let the healing begin. Help us to be listening and aware and acknowledging you and then doing what you've called us to do as the great physician, the healer, because in this passage, I am the Lord who heals you. What a tremendous thing that is because we all need healing from many different things. And so in every lesson, every lesson, I learn more about myself if I am teachable in obeying God. I learn more about God if I am humbled in trusting God. And there's a beauty to brokenness. There's a beauty to humility that opens the door wide for us to, to sort of love this journey that we're taking with God. So time and time again, God cared enough to keep his people from perishing in the wilderness. They were far from perfect, as we're going to see. Even right, off the, right out the gate, he led them, provided for them, protected them, delivered them. Why? Why did God do that? He tells them, not because you're some great nation. I did it because I love you. God loved them as he loves you and me. And so he tested them for what purpose? To grow them up. To bring them to a greater depth of relationship with him and thus with others. So they wouldn't stay in an arrested state of spiritual development. They wouldn't die in that sense, spiritually, but they'd be growing. That's why God was doing what he's doing. He loved them. He tested them to grow them up in knowing him. God will walk with you and I in the same way. He walks with those who will walk with him. What does the Lord require? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God's looking for. He rejoices that we who were once sinners, lost in our sin, rebellious, Changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, born again by the Spirit of God, that we would walk with Him. And He's saying, I'm going to be the initiator. I'm going to be the provider. You just respond. Because that's what God wants from each other a relationship that's meaningful. And that relationship is only meaningful when I willingly respond to God and say, I'm yours. Take my life and let it be consecrated fully to you, Lord. Take me, Lord, now, right now, today. Take me and heal my life and shape my life and forge my life and transform me so that I'm more like Jesus and he can do that. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. God doesn't, God's going to do that. He is doing that. And that's this process of learning. I don't think these things can ever be overstated. In fact, I believe that the need that we have more than I've ever known this in my whole life, the need that we have for encouragement. For encouragement. We can't overstate these things because they're true about God. He's perfect, infinite, and eternal. He loves us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to change our lives. Why? Because we're so great, wonderful people? Eh, eh, wrong answer. <laughs> no, because he loves us. He loves it. What a way to start the new year, amen, to hear that. You can't overstate these truths about God. He wants to walk with us and heal our lives. And so a believer grows up in, in the love of God that never changes. He grows up in the long-suffering of God that is perfectly patient. Let me personalize it. I am growing up in the faithfulness of God that never fails. You can say that for, about our relationship with God. His love that never changes, his long suffering that's perfectly patient, and his faithfulness that never fails. I love that song. When I first heard it, I was broken by it. When I first heard it in here, I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. And I'll tell you what. That should move us 
in worship. I look back on my life and it just blows my mind. Surely what goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. All those rest of things start falling off as God starts healing and, and sanctifying my life and making me more holy and more in love with him and more usable by him. These things start falling. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. Brothers and sisters, that's what we have. And these lessons are God's working in our lives to shape these things in a deeper manner so that I understand in a greater way the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God for me. So they went out into the wilderness and God delivered them. This is after God's deliverance from Egypt through the Passover, after God taking them through the Red Sea, after the glorious song of Moses and the praise. This is now in the wilderness. Now they're getting ready for this venture with God. And they went three days. And what happened? They found no water. Now, three days in the Bible, one of the things it typifies is resurrection. The Jewish culture, if you were dead for three days, you were really dead. So the three days. Lazarus, he, he's been dead four days. He stinketh. <laughs> but in the Jewish mind, three days you were really dead. And so it speaks of resurrection. And the picture here, three days into this thing, it speaks of a whole new life, a resurrection life, if we can apply it that way in our hearts this morning. When we came out of Egypt, when we were redeemed by God, when he delivered us and saved us, it, we, we stepped into this whole new life of resurrection in walking with God. And so they found no water. Suddenly they see this great lack Suddenly, it's like, hold on a second. <laughs> you didn't tell us about this one. You didn't tell us. And so one day, okay, two days, uh, well, I'm not sure about this, but three days, uh, Houston, we have a problem. We're going to perish. And so here is God, right out of the gate, allowing them to thirst. To thirst. And they hadn't probably given that much thought. Now, this is a massive amount of people. The wilderness was not designed to support them. But that doesn't mean God can't. And God did. And so suddenly everything becomes, they become aware of this thirst that the wilderness can't satisfy. Application. Brothers and sisters, we are walking in a wilderness wasteland. Nothing in this world can satisfy the thirst we have. What's that thirst? Of our soul for God. That's the thirst. So we who have been born again. We have been awakened to the fact that I can know this God. And I do through Christ. All of a sudden. None of these other things can satisfy that thirst for God. They never could. But we weren't aware of it. Now we become aware of this life. And we realize only God can satisfy that clamor of my heart after him. That desire to know him as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul, it's my soul, thirst for God. The soul needs God. Oh, my stomach likes an Egg McMuffin <laughs> and a Coke, okay? <laughs> but my soul was created to be in relationship with God. And nothing can satisfy it except God. Except a relationship with God. So the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for you, O Lord. Psalm 63 read as a response to me. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. The loving kindness of God. My soul longing and realizing it's true. It's true. The sanctuary, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift my hands in your name. Psalm 143, I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you in a thirsty land. God is the answer to the soul's hunger to fill what God created only he can fill. 
It's God. It's that thirst. So Jesus said, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and notice and loses his own soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? You see, you may, con- con- you may trans- you know, go through the whole world looking for something that's going to help your soul. But listen, you can't purchase your soul from death. Neither can I. But Jesus comes along and says, I can give you life. And so to the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. It's not the answer. It never be the answer. But he says, whoever drinks the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting. It's in our lives now, this answer of the thirst we have for God. Are you not thankful for that? This mysterious thing that is no mystery as far as reality. God gives us life. And Jesus said, you come to me, verse, in John chapter 7. He says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. This he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me say, we're on the other side of God. Jesus being glorified. And we become born again by the spirit of God. God fills us with his spirit. And our lives are saturated, saturated. With a fountain of living water that's torrents pouring out of life. Not only ours, but others. Only God can do that. And he does it. In cracked vessels many times. So they came to Mara. And when they came there, they couldn't drink. So here they are. They finally find water and then they get to it and they couldn't drink it. Water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. So they, oh, there it is. There's the way. And they go up and they start. And it's brackish. It's salty. It might even be poisonous. They're going, yeah. God, what are you doing? Faked out, as it were. And so they, this happens. And they begin, what does it say? People complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? Moses, you got a problem. You're the problem. What are we going to do? How are you going to fix this? Now, I, I must say, well, the question I wrote here is, how quickly do you complain? <laughs> I don't like that question. Or how regularly are you the Eeyore? Oh, well, you. <laughs> how much do I complain? You see, it's, I don't like the question because I got the same problem the children of Israel had and that everyone has to some degree. You know, someone said the hardest arithmetic is to count your blessings. To be thankful. I'll enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. But we enter and go, ooh, where's the water, man? And this is, I believe it's, a, it's an indicator of our spiritual maturity. That as God is working in my life, one of the areas, and it came up over and over and over again with the children of Israel, it becomes an, a problem all the way along. They sort of deflect their heart's real condition onto Moses. When really what's going on is they don't trust God. They're not going to obey God. They're not going to believe in God. And that's the testing that's going on. Mara means bitter. When Ruth was in Moab, and she had her two sons, and they married two women. Her husband dies, then her two sons die. And Ruth, her daughter-in-law, says, my God's going to be your God. Where you go, I'm going. So you're going back to Bethlehem, I'm going with you. And so there goes Ruth, and Naomi and Ruth. Back to Bethlehem. We read in Ruth, the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Now, Naomi means pleasant. Don't call me pleasant. I'm not. 
Call me Mara, bitter. Now notice, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Have you ever felt like that? You know, you, you sort of, God, what, what, what's going on here? And, that, and Ruth's a godly woman. But she is in a place at this time in her life where she's saying, you know, just call me bitter and I'm, I'm just going to be bitter. Mara. Because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with I don't like what God's allowed to happen in my life. I went out full. The Lord brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Why do you call me pleasant? Since the Lord has testified against me. And so God is against you. But the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? But as far as Naomi in this space in her life, she is bitter. She's Mara. She's saying, God has dealt bitterly. He's testified against me. The Almighty has afflicted me. God allowed it, yes, in her life. But she is not being able to see right now over the horizon of what's going to be happening, what God's going to do for Ruth through Boaz, become a part of the, of the lineage of our Savior. And often we, we're, we're the complaining, the bitterness. We can't see past our own selves. And God's saying, I want to heal you of that life. I want to give you healing. And there are a lot of, a lot of areas like this in, a, in this gathering we have here today. Things that have happened Things that we didn't like. And as a believer, we all have stuff. Things that, from our past. Things that God's dealing with. We all have this, this, you know, when you become a Christian, everything doesn't magically get sweet. It doesn't. Because God loves us too much to keep us in those things. And so he begins bringing us to the waters of Marah. He begins allowing us to thirst. We begin to have to deal with some things in our hearts. And our heart are, the, the heart is still prone to wander. I still make alarming mistakes. I can still accuse God of dealing me a bad hand. Uh, listen, I am not immune to deep discouragement. At times in my life. And those things sort of be blind us to what God has in mind. And I'll tell you simply what he has in mind is to heal my life. To heal your life. And to give you life and give it you more abundantly than you could have ever imagined. And so as a believer, I get to experience the power of God to transform even the most dif difficult circumstances and the deepest discouragements to come in and lift me up. <laughs> I love that verse. Underneath are the everlasting arms. I can never go deeper but where God is there to grow me up. To grow me up. And I find, as I've, even these last few months, this year has been, I feel like 10 years. But as God, it was almost like an epiphany for me. It really was. It's like, I realized God doesn't change. God's love is perfect. God should be worshipped no matter how I feel. That might sound like, well, uh. Well, for me, it was a, ah. Uh. <laughs> and just to worship God, apart from everything else, gains back a perspective. Yes. God is on the throne. Yes, God is working in me to will and do what pleases him. Yes, God is testing me to show me my heart to, that I might also may know his heart for me and then trust him and obey him in every way. David, Dr. David Jeremiah said this, I've actually heard preachers say, if you accept Jesus Christ, he will take away your troubles. <laughs> you ever see that star? This is what I always think of. It just came to mind again. Whenever I, that, that first Star Wars movie, where that guy on the shoulder of Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> he will take away all your troubles. How many have found that to be true? If we, now he goes on. Dr. Jer, David Jeremiah said, if we sell that message when we preach, we're dishonest. 
Inviting Christ to take over the reins of your life, in fact, may radically confuse and complicate your life, at least in the initial stages. Ultimately, however, having Jesus Christ is far better than not having Jesus Christ. Life cannot be figured out unless understood in the light of eternity. There's no way to that eternal perspective apart from the commitment to Jesus Christ. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? You've met God. You can't get any better than that. Dr. Chuck Swindoll, Charles Swindoll said, quote, the gospel is not a rabbit's foot granting our specific wishes. Most people do not arrive Sunday morning with the right questions. They come with an idea of what they want. They want their marriage back. They want peace. They want contentment. Or they want their business to flourish. Perhaps, he says, the best thing for them is for their business to fail. But that's awfully hard to hear. Would you say amen to that? And hard to preach. As a preacher, I can legitimately say, if you stay with this book, the Word of God, with this message of hope, your life can get straightened out, but I can't promise to fulfill their agenda, unquote. That's God for us. I thought of Hebrews chapter 12 after that fantastic chapter called the Hall, the Hall of Faith. What, name after name, and they were far from perfect people, but by faith, by faith, by faith. And so then he says in chapter 12, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us, and let us run with endurance the race set and set before us. How? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, the cross, he endured the cross, despising shame, and where is Jesus now? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so the writer says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. For you have not, and lest you become weary and discouraged, we got to look to Jesus. In all that we go through, we got to look to Jesus. We have these testimonies of faith that we see over and over. And some of them are glorious and some of them are death. They, were, they believe God. And their different circumstances that God took them through, what, they, what sustained them was their faith in God. He's saying we're surrounded by these. But then he says, consider Jesus, who, what he did on the cross and what he endured for the joy that was set before him. So he says, you have not resisted bloodshed striving against sin. You've forgotten the exhortation that speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chase of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord, what? Loves he. <laughs> And that is true. Any parent knows it. If you love your kid, you better chasten them. You better deal with the things that are going on in their lives. Because the heart, natural propensity is disobedience. And so you've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you. Do not be surprised. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and here it is, scourges every son whom he receives. That's painful. So he goes on. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you endure without chastening, of whom, of which all become partakers, then you are illegitimate. And not, in other words, expect it. God's lessons. God's training. God's healing. He goes on. Furthermore, we had human fathers who corrected us. We paid them respect. You bet we did. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? It's our spiritual life. It's on the line. Our spiritual life, these lessons are happening. For they indeed for a few days chases as seemed best to them. But he, God, for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Sanctification is the process of being made holy. Now no chasing seems to be Joyful but for the present, but painful nevertheless. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been what? Trained by it. So he says this. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may be what? Healed. God wants to heal our lives. And that chastening by him is for our spiritual growth and maturity. And he does that through difficult circumstances, painful things that come into our life, the chasing, the correction that he must give to us. And then he says, pursue peace, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of, here it is, bitterness. This root that can begin to take place. 
when I don't like what's going on. When I begin complaining and murmuring and blaming everything else rather than allowing the Lord to look in my heart and show me what's going on and then heal me of that. And so they cried out to the Lord. Moses cried out to the Lord. So the test is on. Moses turned to God, which is right. And he showed him this tree. That word show is Torah. means to instruct. He said, Moses, take the, actually the word is wood. Take this wood, throw it into the water, and it'll be sweet. Now, there's been a lot of research, what I've read. They've done a lot of research on trying to find the tree. How that work? And they haven't been able to find any tree that you throw it in the water, and it's all, if they did, they'd be making a lot of money. I believe it's simply God, in this situation, did a miracle. He did a miracle for them. God doesn't always work through miracles, but I do believe we miss a lot of the miraculous things God is doing. A lot of times because we're complaining. We, we just don't see it. But then other times, God just going to lead us to another place. Other times, God, he might change things. He might lead us somewhere else. He might do something else. But whatever God's doing here is that we might grow up and not stay in a rested state of spiritual development. That we learn the lessons. And so he showed him, he instructed Moses, cast the tree into the waters, and they're going to be sweet. Now, we can't miss the application of the cross. It says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We find this tree in the scriptures. It says in Acts chapter 5, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. The application, hello. <laughs> I wake you up? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I don't know what just happened, but um, the application, yeah. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you know, it's the cross. It's the cross. Paul said, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. It's in the cross that we've been healed spiritually. The curse has been removed for what Jesus accomplished on the cross. We now walk in newness of life, secure in this salvation God has provided for us through the cross. And then we come back to the cross and crucify our flesh with affections and lust. We apply the cross in every area that we might be healed, strengthened, forgiven, reconciled. In Isaiah 53, Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our, one of the most powerful, of Psalm 22 is not, one of the most powerful prophetic passages concerning what happened to Jesus, literally. And this is what happened to him as he was there. He's borne our sorrows, carried our, he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We esteemed him smitten, smitten by, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on, upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Healed how? He says it. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. What's the healing that he's talking about primarily? Spiritual. We were out of relationship with God. We wandered. We were like sheep gone astray. First Peter takes us up and says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we having died to sins might live for righteousness, new life. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray. But have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. Peter says, you were healed. In coming to Christ. So in the cross, God showed us the tree of humility and surrender as the son to the father to die for our sins. The cross, God showed us the tree of forgiveness, wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. It's a cross. The cross, God showed us the tree of healing. By his stripes we were healed. By his stripes you were healed. The, the, the cross is where God showed us the tree of reconciliation. God's really into trees for life, for blessing. Genesis, 
in Revelation. God wants to heal us. And the tree, the cross, is God's reconciling us to himself through his son. And so, as we think about this, applying the wood to the, to the uh, water, what did Moses do? He simply did what God told him to do. He had the right response. And God honored his faith and, the cha- and changed the situation miraculously. See that wood? Throw it in. Again, how God chooses to do things in our lives may be miraculous more often than not. We might miss those, but more often than not, it's one foot in front of the next as God, trusting God and obeying Him. That path of healing, that path of wholeness, that path of sanctification. And in whatever way He chooses to lead us, every juncture, every situation, every difficulty, every impossibility, may I say to you again, God is present to heal. He is present in your life no matter how bad it might be or has been. And I think this is what God does. Every moment for God is a teachable moment for us. He is ever-present. So he sees the moment and seizes the moment in hopes that we'll hear and respond. The will of God will never lead us where the grace of God can't keep us. That's what we have. And so he made this statue and ordinance And there he tested them. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight. And so God here makes this covenant. Says this is the relationship that I desire with you. God is the initiator. We are the responders. God knows who is for us, who can be against us. We can never be separated from the love of God. And whatever might come along that would say differently, we need to say, hold on a second. That's not the Lord. That's not the voice of the Lord. That's not the word of the Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? What shall we say to these things? I still hear it in my mind from Pastor Chuck during the hippie days. Who shall separate us from these things? That's not what I said, right? What what shall we say to these things? Far out. (laughs) Groovy. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him? You got to have Jesus. Not, not do everything that he's promised to do for our lives. Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? None of these things. And he says, I am convinced that none of these things can separate me from the love of God. Do you believe that? Are you convinced about that today? That God did all these things. He tested them. He has this relationship going on with them. He's wanting to to initiate and respond with them in walking together. This principle is throughout the scriptures, God's desire. There's a hymn called Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, nor a, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. You want to sing it with me? Trust and obey, for there's no other way. To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And I believe through the Holy Spirit of God, we can be intentional in every situation we're in right today, in every difficulty, every problem. We can be intentionally, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to cast myself onto Him who cares for me. I'm going to trust him in this situation. I'm going to trust him in the things that are going on in this relationship. I'm going to trust God. And we look at our nation. I have to step back in the bigger picture. And what can I do? Well, I, I can only trust and obey God because these things that are going on are very disturbing. They're dark in many ways. But that doesn't change our perfect God who wants to walk with us through it. And we learn the lessons not not in spite of these things, but because 
of these things in our lives. That God is taking us deeper with him. I am the Lord who heals you. And that is God's desire. And so, in one word, I would, be, I would banner over this series. It's sanctification. The process of being made holy. Lessons in the wild. God's presence with us in the wilderness of life. It's called sanctification. The process of being made holy. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I'm going to sing in the goodness of God. It takes time to learn. It takes time to grow. There are no instant Christians. Say amen. Any depth takes time. The learning takes time. Spiritual maturity takes time. But listen, God is not in a hurry. God is perfect in what he allows in our lives with the goal that we'll know our hearts and we'll know his love. That's what he's doing. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Chop that out a minute. God is faithful. Who will not allow you, personalize it, you, to be tempted beyond what you're able with the temptation will also make the, way of, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear. What's the way of escape? Trust and obey. There's no other way. And so to say, I'm going to trust Lord. And maybe in your heart this morning, you can do that. I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to trust you with this. And now, Lord, in, intensely say, I'm going to trust you. And God hears that. And God knows your desires after that. Then there'll be the step, the next step. You know, all that walking with the Lord is, is one step after the next. Walking with God. So he can do what he wants to do. I close with this quote from Warren Wearsby. If life were nothing but tests, we would be discouraged. If life were all pleasure, we would never learn discipline and develop character. The Lord knows how to balance the experiences of life for he brought his people to Elam where they found plenty of water and opportunity for rest. Let's be grateful that the Lord gives us enough blessings to encourage us and enough burdens to humble us that he knows how much we can take, unquote. Amen? Amen. God is present to heal us. I say, let the healing begin for us today. Would you stand as we close in that song that I've been quoting? And so, Lord, again, here we are. We stand before you, the living God, in relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And my prayer as we are going to be singing this, but my prayer is that, Lord, anyone that's here today, here present, watching, hearing this later, whatever it is, Lord, you would draw them to yourself, the giver of life, the one who died for them, that they might be saved and walk with you just as we are walking with you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord.